Welcome to the Indianola First Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. Hallelujah. Well, we have been in a series uh, since the new year. I, I call it the New Year Sermon Series. I don't know what else to call it. But in week one, we talked about how a new year presents an opportunity to make some fresh starts. So new year, fresh starts. We talked about the Apostle Paul and that and how he was presented with the opportunity to have a fresh start after encountering Christ on the road to Damascus. And I love that still today, all these years later, 2,000 years later, right? We, when we encounter Christ, we still are changed forever. We can still be changed forever. I was talking to um, uh, Mike Hedin over here, the dumb, dumb sucker guy. And uh, if you don't know who that is, Mike, I see you back there, uh, and I don't think he minds me sharing this, but he, he said that something to me this this morning about Friday night. He said, you know, I, I loved Friday night. Thanks for having it and all this. And then he just said, 15 years ago, my number one priority on Friday night would have been, I got to get to the bar. And he goes, I sat through the whole service and just wept because I knew where I was, I, where I was, was where I was supposed to be now. And you know, the, the cool thing is, is you encounter Christ, Mike. That's what happens. He changes you from the inside out. Everything becomes new. So fresh year, or new year, fresh start for many people. Last week, we talked about Abraham and his father, Terah, and the vision that God gave to go to the land of Canaan. We, we have a fresh vision for all that God has for us. And there's no better time than right now as we start a new year. I mean, God will constantly give you fresh vision. So new year, fresh start, new year, fresh vision, and today, new year, fresh commitment. What does it mean to commit? To really, truly commit. A pig and a chicken were walking down the road. The chicken says, you know, pig, I think we ought to open a restaurant. And the pig says, hmm, interesting. What will we call it? The chicken said, how about bacon and eggs? Pig said, no thanks. I'd have to be totally committed to that. You'd only be involved. <laughs> to commit to something is to pledge or assign oneself to some particular cause or use. It's the state or quality of being dedicated or obligated to a specific purpose. And of course, we are to be committed to the Lord. We know that. Psalm 37, 5 says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. Proverbs 16, 3 says, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. The word translated commit here is from a Hebrew word that only occurs two times in the Bible. I thought this was so interesting. Two times in the whole Bible. And it literally means to roll. To roll. In the Hebrew language, this word is used figuratively to describe handing over, seeking, or co-signing something, to roll it over to him. All of your ways, all of your activities, all that we are, roll it over to him. What are you doing? I'm rolling with Jesus. We should get a t-shirt like that, Malachi. I'm just rolling with Jesus. I mean, I'm committed to Jesus. I'm rolling. You see me rolling <laughs> with Yahweh. Try to catch me riding holy, right? <laughs> That's really bad. I'm sorry. 
That could all be on the t-shirt, maybe, you know. And as you know, there are examples of being committed to Christ all throughout Scripture, isn't there? Noah committed to the Lord. He spent decades of his life building the ark. Some believe near 75 years, and he did this while everybody else laughed at him. He was committed to the Lord and his cause. Daniel was committed to God. When the Israelites were dragged off into exile by King Nebuchadnezzar, he was a young teenage boy, about 15 probably, that was chosen to be re-educated, brainwashed. How would you get to a 15-year-old boy, how would you brainwash them? How would you change all of their thinking? Well, you just throw things at them that appeal to the flesh. And that's exactly what they did. But Daniel was committed to the Lord, and he didn't budge. He didn't budge. I love that about Daniel. He stood his ground. We know the apostles Peter and Paul were, to, were, were put to death for Christ. Talk about commitment. Peter was crucified upside down. Paul was beheaded. John, the disciple Jesus loved was, was put into a large pot and he was literally boiled in oil. But he wouldn't stop preaching. And what happened was he, he's known as the, the man that would not die because he sat there and they kept boiling him and boiling him and it never got hurt until they took him out. And then he, actually after that, he, he wrote the book of Revelation. Pretty interesting. But he was committed even though they were trying to kill him committed to the end. And these guys should be our examples. And there's many more all throughout history I could go over, but more than anything, we should desire to commit to the Lord and his cause. Amen? Commit to the Lord. But there's another commitment that we are admonished in Scripture to make, and that is, as members of the bodies of Christ, we are to commit ourselves to one another. Turn to your neighbor and, said, and say, I think I'm committed to you. Don't make it weird, just. I want to take you to Acts chapter 2, verse 41 through 47. And it says this. So those who received his word were baptized and, there were, and they were added that day. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls, right? And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of the bread and the prayers and awe came over Every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Sounds like revival, doesn't it? And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing, them, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. What a great, great scripture. What a great description of what the church should look like, how it looked then and how it should look now. They literally carried one another's burdens. They had community they lived out the, the body analogy that's given to us in Romans 12, 4 through 5. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we through many are one body in Christ, and individual, individually members one of another. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 gives us that same analogy. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And it could be easy 
to assume that this is only meant as the whole body of Christ or what we sometimes call the big C church, right? But contextually, these verses really address how local churches are supposed to operate as well. We are a part of the whole body of Christ. Isn't that awesome? There's people all over the world right now worshiping God, and we're a part of that. We're a part of the big C church. If you're a born-again follower of Jesus, you are a part of the body of Christ. Plain and simple. Every person following, everyone who's submitted, everyone who's born again, every believer is a part of that body from every tribe and every nation. But as you continue to read about the early church and the progression of the gospel throughout the region, you'll see that many churches were planted all over. And those churches were organized into local congregations or the small C church. And, and folks, as much as I'm excited and, and, and it, I think it's a wonderful thing that we are part of the big C church, and we are, even in our community, there's other churches meeting right now worshiping the same God that we are. I think that's cool. That's wonderful. That's awesome, right? And, it's, and as exciting as being a part of the Big C Church is, I'm excited that we're also a part of this local family church. Because I think that's wonderful too. Some people don't believe in the local church anymore. They don't believe in organized religion, right? And I said this Friday night, and for those of you that weren't here, the biggest problem with church and with church leadership and church members and people that attend is that we're all human. You'll never find a perfect church. By the way, if you do, don't attend it. You'll ruin it. Okay? But you're never going to find one because we're human and we make mistakes. Everybody does. But that doesn't mean we throw the idea of the local church out. That doesn't mean we throw the idea of organizing the local church out. And there's lots of things in Scripture about this. I want to get into that a little bit today. First of all, local churches kept records back then. They counted how many individuals came to Christ. Acts 16.5 says, So the churches, the churches, plural there, right? were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. How did they know they increased daily? Somebody was keeping track. They kept records. Number two, local churches had lists. They had lists. Paul instructs the churches to enroll certain qualifying widows to be supported monetarily by the church. In 1 Timothy 5.9, it says, Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband. And it actually, in there, it even talks about if a widow has children, let them take care of her first. But if they won't, then the church needs to step in. Interesting. Lots of things that they have in Scripture that Paul wrote that the, that the epistles uh, uh, teach us about organizing and making lists. They had lists of widows so that they could be ministered to. Three, pastors had responsibilities to local congregations. Acts 20, 28 says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. He's talking to pastors there. Pay careful attention and leadership to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. He didn't say all of the big C church. He said the flock that he has made you specifically an overseer of. Again, 
referring to the local church and the importance of it. 1 Peter 5.2 says, shepherd the flock, this is to pastors again, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. So being a pastor isn't a get-rich-quick scheme, I think he's saying here. It's not a way to be successful. You, you have a job to do, do it. That's what he's telling pastors in leadership in the church. But you are a shepherd over the flock in which you find yourself over, not over the whole thing. It would be crazy to think that pastors were to take care of all Christians everywhere. And then that gives me a headache. They were to care or shepherd the flocks they had been given charge over. These verses only make sense in reference to the local church. They don't make sense in reference to just the big C church. You know, and, and, and the reason I'm, I'm going here a little bit with the scripture is I know, I understand what happens. Pastors don't want to pastor because they get hurt in churches that treat them poorly. And people don't want to be a part of churches where they have been treated poorly. And so people and pastors and leaders and lay people and all of them, we, we, it just, you get a bad taste in your mouth for the church and you're like, eh, I'm done with organized religion. Have you ever heard anybody say that? I'm done with the local church. It's nothing but problems, nothing but headaches. I'm just going to go home, put something across my driveway, say nobody can come in, and I'm going to worship with my family all alone in my house. And there's times when you may have to do that. I'm not, I'm not ripping on anybody that's ever done that, okay? I'm not doing that. There's times when that might be something you have to do. But you still have to be part of the local, of a local body of believers. Or none of these scriptures really make sense. They just, why are they there then? I said local churches kept records. I said local churches had lists. I said pastors had responsibilities to local congregations. And number four, congregations had responsibilities to local pastors in that early church. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. I, I, I want you to understand that. I'm not saying this to be self-serving. There's an, there's an immense responsibility on us as church leaders to care for your souls, and we're going to have to give an account for how we did that. We're going to have to answer to God. If you teach, if you preach, if you call yourself a church leader, if you assume that position, I mean, judgment day may not be easy for us because we'll be judged more harshly. The Word of God says that. We'll have to give an account. But then it says, let them do this with joy and not with groaning. Yeah. Can you believe that sometimes I groan about having to do that? Do what? Be, be a pastor? Well, that would be the greatest job ever. You can just work on Sundays, kick back the rest of the week, and, and just enjoy your time. And, and yeah, so easy. He's saying to congregations, let your leadership do this with joy, lead with joy, and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. In other words, don't be so high maintenance. <laughs> Did I just tell you to stop being high maintenance? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> but you see, there's, 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 this, there's this scripture here that, that literally tells the congregations of local churches, how they need to be in reference to their pastors to make it easier on them. 
And this isn't a mandate for believers to obey every pastor or elder in the entire body of Christ. This is referring to their local leadership. And if a Christian has the ability to immediately, at will, change which pastor is their pastor, then no real obligation can be found in this verse. In other words, there's this level of commitment. There's that word again. When you commit to a local body, that it's not just like, well, I don't like what the pastor wore today, so I'm going to go down the street and go to the other church where I like how he dresses. When you commit, it's a commitment. We live, guys, I'm, I, and I'm, again, I'm not trying to be self-serving. I'm trying to talk to you about what the Word of God says. We live in a society that's very consumer-driven, right? We don't like this restaurant, we ain't going back again. We don't like these shoes or the, this, this brand of clothing, we're not going to go back to the store that sells that. We walked into a church and, oh my, someone, someone walked by me without saying hi. I'm out of here. And you can pick what church you want to be part of. That, that, nobody's saying that. But once you commit, commit. Have anybody ever heard what a church hopper is? They just hop from church to church looking for some place to land. Guess what happens when you church hop? If, if, if you just church hop all the time. You never become someone who's helpful to that local body and you yourself are never helped right that takes commitment so congregations had responsibilities to the local pastors too and you know what if, if your pastor or leadership and ever in any church that you ever find yourself in if if they start teaching false or they or they uh, start doing things that aren't morally sound then then Absolutely, don't go there. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. But for flippant or fleshly reasons, or if you've committed somewhere, it's not spiritually beneficial for you just to jump around. You, you, know, what's, you know what's great about jumping around, though? You never have any accountability. Right? Because we, we just love accountability. We can escape all that. We don't have to submit to anybody if we jump around. Number five, local congregations had responsibilities to one another. To one another. Galatians 6.2 says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanks, thankfulness in your hearts to God. 1 Thessalonians 5.15 says, Therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. If the early church had these responsibilities to one another, then we do too. But we can't bear every Christian in the world's burdens. And we can't teach and admonish or even sing spiritual songs to all Christians everywhere. How could we accomplish and how can we accomplish encouraging Christians in every corner of the world and build them up? And, and maybe it's more possible today now with technology than ever before, but it's still impossible. And that's why there's a local congregation. That's why God set it up that way. There's not a local perfect congregation. There's just a local congregation full of imperfect people who have imperfect leadership in the church. But hopefully, they're sold out to God. And they love him so much that they can see where they mess up. 
and they can apologize, they can move forward, and they can forgive one another, and they can love each other into greatness. And I, I see that happening in this church. I see that happening here. These instructions are for us to fulfill within the local congregation of our choosing. And we could go on and on with this. I, I mean, all these reasons that the Bible really, really gives a wonderful case for the local church. Um, I could give you point six and talk about the instructions that local congregations have in reference to practicing communion. It's meant for born-again believers, and we are to instruct those who have yet to receive Christ to not partake. This all happens on a local level within the body of Christ, locally, right? What about discipline within the church? That could be point seven. Nobody likes to talk about that. Instructions on how members of the body of Christ, of the body of Christ are to be disciplined and what actions warrant discipline are given in the word of God. Do you know there's whole, there's whole scriptures about, about how to discipline believers within the church? Do you, you know that just goes over like a lead balloon today, right? I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't happen. There's no disciplining in the church today. If you do, what happens? They leave. So either you don't discipline and you let them keep doing what they're doing or you discipline and watch them walk out the door. That's a tough place to be in, isn't it? That's not what God meant in the church. And I don't think you, I'm not talking about disciplining with, disciplining with a heavy hand or an ultra-controlling spirit or anything like that. I'm just talking about church discipline. Sometimes it's needed. But that could be point seven. Point eight could be the Apostle Paul gave instructions on selecting officers within the church. Elders and deacons and all these instructions, they're directed at local congregations. And we're all part of the at-large body of Christ, the big C church. And we're a part of that the moment we receive him and are born again. But participation in Christ's body, that happens primarily through the local church that we have committed to. That's how it works. Are you hearing me this morning? And don't understand, don't misunderstand me. Our first commitment is to Jesus Christ himself, our Savior, Right? But Scripture certainly bears out that it's important for us to connect with the local body and not just casually connect, but commit. Not chicken connect, but pig connect. Maybe, maybe not that far, but never mind. That wasn't in my notes. I should, I, I'm glad I left it out of there. Hebrews 10.25 says this, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And remember that to commit to something is to pledge or assign oneself to some particular cause or use. It's the state or quality of being dedicated or obligated to a specific purpose. And the best way for us to know who is committed in the body, uh, in this body of believers at, at Indianola First, is to just, just ask you to commit. People call it church membership sometimes. I like to call it partnership. This isn't my church. This is our church, right? Together as partners, we are a church family. We are members of his body and connected to this local congregation to find fellowship, encouragement, accountability, and to literally bear one another's burdens. 
We partner together, taking on responsibility to one another. That doesn't sound, that sounds like work, doesn't it? I have a responsibility to you, Brad, to bear your burdens with you, to help you bear them. That, that's how this local congregation thing works. I'm not saying that's easy. I'm not saying that that's not time-consuming. It is. That's really hard sometimes, isn't it, when you think about it? That's being there for one another, especially when you're going through something hard. You saw it this morning. Matt and Bree came forward, and you know you're going through some stuff. We know that, and people that are close to you know that in the congregation, and they swarmed around you. That, that's what I'm talking about. Calling your brothers or sisters in Christ when you know they're going through it. Guess who can't do it all? And I don't, I don't even try to. I can't. I become frustrated and burnt out. So the body of Christ does that for one another. We bear each other's burdens. Together, as partners, we are a church family. That's why we call each other, we used to call each other brother and sister. That doesn't happen so much anymore, Brother Daniel. Brother Bet. He's not married to my daughter, so I don't have to give him $20. So. <laughs> Brother Brett, Sister Amy, we used to say things like that. We used to call each other that. And I think that was a good thing. It, it may be kind of weird now culturally, and I don't know if, I'm not saying we should change how we do it, but at least when we did that back then, it reminded us constantly that we're brothers and sisters in Christ, right? We're family. We're family. We're members of his body and connected to this local congregation. And we find all those things, fellowship, encouragement, accountability, and we bear each other's burdens. We partner together, taking on responsibility to one another in order that the kingdom of God can flourish in this small corner of the world. I like what Ecclesiastes 4.10 says, and I use this in weddings all the time, but it's true for the church just as much. Two are better than one. For if they, if, if they fall, one will lift up his, fe his fellow friend. But who, woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. The, it, it's so important that we, we not only are there for one another, but that we allow other people to be there for us. Because you ain't all that, right? You don't have it all together. Who does? Not one of us. And it's a new year, and I want to challenge you this morning to some fresh commitment. Commitment to God for sure, but to narrow the focus a little bit, commitment to one another. And every January, we give the opportunity for those that have decided to make Indianola first their church home. We give them the opportunity to become official partners. And partnership is more about you saying yes to this family and less about signing a piece of paper that gives us some kind of totalitarian authority over you. Okay? It's a partnership. And with that partnership, you can expect a few things. And, and I want you to understand that something. I, I understand every, every, that there is, is lots, there, there are a lot of scenarios and situations and circumstances. Some people are just anti-church membership. I get that. 
people can be a part of this congregation and they can bear one another's burdens. I get that. But there's something special that happens when you say yes to membership or I say partnership. Partnership. And I'll tell you just real quickly why I think that. Because if you're a member of a country club, some of you have heard me say this, I've said it a million times, but if you're a member of a country club and you walk into the, uh, the uh, maybe the, the, the bathroom and it's just nasty and you don't even want to be in there, you'll leave there and you'll go complain to management. Hey, I'm a member here and that bathroom is disgusting and I don't pay this much every year to play golf here and to be a part of the membership of this, of this country club to have bathrooms look like that. Somebody needs to do their job. Okay? Partner, if you're a partner in a law firm and you're walking through your office and there's a piece of trash on the ground over there, you don't see it and then go to the, into the partner's meeting and chew everybody out because, uh, because there's trash in the, in the entryway that looked bad. What do you do? As you walk by, you pick it up and you throw it away yourself, don't you? That is a better picture of the church, the local church, to say partner, because that's, we're all part of this. We're, we're, you're not just members of something and you hire people to do everything for you. You are a part of this. Does that make sense? Are you with me today? You're kind of quiet today. Is what I'm saying right and good? Amen? You, you like my preaching today? Okay. a little different. This stuff is important to know. But as a partner in our church, an official partner, you can expect that this local body will minister your spiritual needs, especially through the preaching of the word. We take time to preach the word. We, we try our best. I'm sure there's better preachers out there. I know there's better preachers out there. I mean, you can turn on the, the internet anytime you want and hear some of the most amazing preachers you ever heard. But we're called to this local body and called to receive messages for this local body. And there's something special, I think, about the messages that are preached here. Not, not because I'm preaching them, but because we're a family. I, you know, we even, we even break it down at staff meeting a lot of times. And, um, you know, sometimes I think the, uh, the staff... Uh, We'll, we start on Monday mornings with a staff meeting, and a lot of times uh, we'll say, well, how did service go? Let's talk about everything that went right, and let's talk about everything that went wrong. And there are times when they look at me and say, hey, that, you, you kind of um, did this when you preached, and you probably shouldn't have, or you preached too long, or whatever. Or, and we, we critique one another so that we can become better. I'm their boss. You think it's easy to sit there and listen to them tell you what you did wrong? But that's different than boss-employee relationship. That's not what this is. We're brothers in Christ, and we, we admonish each other to good works. And when, then, when they preach, I really give it to them. So, you know, we just, it's just, yeah, it's a lot of fun. But we put forth our best efforts, and we don't, uh, we don't just go to the Internet and find some site that gives you all these messages, and then you can just print them off and read them. We don't get them downloaded from the Assemblies of God and preach messages that are already done. We want to bring you a fresh word every single Sunday. And that takes work. But that's, I'm, I, and I don't need applause for that. That's our job, right? That's, that's what we're supposed to do. You can expect that as a local partner. As, as a partner, official partner, um, you can expect that you'll be assisted with godly counsel, especially in times of decision, stress, and difficulty. I mean, if you're going through it, 
make an appointment. We're here to help. If we can't help, we'll point you in the right direction. We know our limitations too. You can expect that you'll be provided with opportunities for building healthy Christian friendships. I mean, Friday night was an example. You could build some friendships that way. Life groups are are an example of how you can build healthy friendships. You know, I I marvel every time we have a life group session, and then a couple months later, we'll see two people in church hanging out or talking to each other, and and I'll I'll say maybe something to Pastor Jared or Pastor Donnie, say, look at that over there. How, How do they even know each other? And then we'll go, oh, life group. And they've, like, developed this awesome friendship with somebody that we would have never put them together, Right? So those kinds of things are amazing. The bistro has become an absolute relationship-building machine. And I love what we're doing in the bistro. Yeah, it's there to raise money for missions, but I'm telling you what, it's so much more than that. It has become so much more than that, where people are gathering, and they always have a place to gather every morning to to just love on one another. That's amazing to me. We look for ways to build healthy relationships. That's the point. Uh, we also, if, if, if you were going to be an official partner, we, we, uh, you can expect that we'll provide uh, you and your family with correct biblical instruction. kind of goes along with preaching the word. But we're going to do our best to be as, as right on as we can. Again, we're not perfect. We don't see everything uh, uh, just 100% perfectly, I'm sure. I, we'll find all that out in heaven. But we are going to do our best to make sure that that's correct biblical instruction. And even guarding classes that are taught and what's being taught in life groups a little bit. Do you realize that I've kicked people out of this? Well, I haven't kicked them out of the church. I've kicked people out of teaching because they refuse to teach something. or They refused to, um, they were teaching something wrong and telling their group that I was teaching it wrong. Okay, so, so who's right and who's wrong? Who gets to decide that? Well, God does ultimately. But for the here and now, I'm the pastor, I have to make that call, right? That's part of my job description. I was talking one time in a Sunday school class and someone said, you're preaching that wrong, Pastor Barry. You are wrong and you are sending. And I was like, "Um, excuse me, you're the student, I'm the teacher, shut your mouth. I had to do that. I don't like doing that, don't clap, I don't like doing that. I don't like doing that at all. But understand that that has to happen sometimes. We want to make sure that you are being taught correct biblical instruction. Now, if someone wants to have a conversation with me in my office and say, look, I think I see this differently, and that's great. That's just fun. I love that. I better move on here. Sustain me (laughs) by the prayers. You can, you can expect it, that we'll sustain you with prayers and concerns. If, if, if we, we're concerned about you. Say, well, I didn't come for three weeks and nobody called me. I was in the hospital, nobody called me. Well, let us know. We're happy to pray for you. I, and, and, you know, sometimes we come from small congregations where the pastor can just know everything that's going on all the time with everybody. I've even had people say, well, it was on Facebook. You should have seen it. Well, I'm not on Facebook all the time. And your feed doesn't always pop up on my feed, right? So I don't always know. If you call, we will be there in prayer. If you say, you know, Pastor, we just had a baby, and we want you to come and pray over the baby and pray with us and rejoice with us, we'll be there in a New York minute. But if we just show up because you had a baby and you're like, um, this is really uncomfortable, why are you here? 
And I guarantee you, there are people in the congregation on both sides of that. So we just say, if you need prayer, ask for it. Doesn't the Bible say, ask for the elders of the church? And let me give you something else that's going to happen here real soon. I, and I'm going to do this real quick. Every elder in the church, every elder in training, and those people that used to be elders in the past, would you just all stand up right now? Or who have been? Or Is anybody else? There's a bunch of them in here. We're going to be doing something new. This was a God thing that happened in our last board meeting. Every time we have a board meeting, which is every other month, we're going to take the time from 7 o'clock to 7.30, and we're just going to, I'm going to announce we're having a board meeting, and from 7 to 7.30, we're going to open that up, and if it goes longer, so be it, because the business of the church isn't that important as much as it is to pray. But we're going to be here in the church, and if you have a need, come and be prayed for by the elders of the church. I think that would be an awesome, awesome thing. And this is the deal. It's not just the elders who are on the board, but every one of you. Dave, you haven't been on the board for a while. Life's changed, blah, blah. You've been amazing. You were on there forever. Needed some new blood. You were getting old. No. <laughs> but you would be invited to come and be a part of praying for people, the elders of the church praying for people that have need. Don't you think that's a good idea? Give these guys a hand as they sit back down. So when you call for the elders of the church, sometimes, sometime, I mean, honestly, I always say we, we've had like five times where people actually have called for the elders of the church to come pray. It never happens, and it's in the Word of God. That's what you're supposed to do. So we thought, well, let's just make it easier. Let's just say every time we meet, you can still call us anytime, anytime, and we'll pray for you. But on those times, especially come in, and we'll lay hands on you, and we'll pray for you, and anoint you with oil, and man, those are powerful times of prayer. We had one last Tuesday. It was amazing. We'll also promise you, as an official partner, you can expect from us that we'll be sound stewards of your financial and personal investments in the kingdom of God. We'll take care of your investments. We'll take care of your tithe. We'll spend it wisely. We'll do the best we can to make sure that it goes for building up the kingdom of God. We have a beautiful facility. We'll take care of it. The reason why you have a facility is so you can facilitate ministry. Plain and simple, right? Money doesn't all go there. I think last year we gave in excess of $260,000 to missions because we want your money to go to the kingdom where it's being built. We gave that to missionaries, right? Another thing, and for outreach, kingdom builders. Another thing that happened this year, I just got these numbers. Pastor Donnie told me that the youth of this church gave this last year uh, was it over $60,000 to missions, just the youth? That's amazing. <laughs> we'll be good stewards of your finances. And by the way, we have no debt. Church has no debt. Nor will we have debt. That partnership... You can expect those things. And this is what we expect from you, and I'll go through these really quick. That you faithfully attend the services. Does that mean every week, all the time, if you're not here, we're going to call you up and hound you? No. We're not going to email you. We're not going to send you nasty letters, nothing like that. 
But if you're going to be gone for a few weeks, we love to know, hey, we're on vacation or we've got three things in a row on weekends. We're not going to be there, but we haven't, we haven't left the church. We're not mad. We're, we'll be back. You know, if you miss a week here and there, you don't have to call, but it's wonderful when we get calls. I get calls and, or even text messages sometimes that say, hey, Pastor Barry, we won't be there this Sunday. We'll see you next week. I love that. I love that. It just means they know. It's kind of like being a football coach and your quarterback doesn't show up on game day. You wonder, where's the quarterback? And we hope the Vikings quarterback, Kirk Cousins, shows up today, right? But, yeah. But faithfully attended services. You're a part. You know what's going on. Another thing is beware of the total church program locally and globally and support it by prayer. It means we ask, we expect from you that you're praying for us. You're praying for this church. You're praying for one another. You're bearing each other's burdens. You understand what's happening here as a church on a local level, but you also know what we're doing on a global level, giving to missionaries all over and praying for all that. We also ask and we expect from you as official partners that you'll live a consistent Christian life. That means what? That means that you're not Mr. or Mrs. holier than thou when you're here and then you leave the doors and you live like the devil himself. I'm not going to get into rules and all that kind of stuff because I think it's counterproductive, but you know what is right and you know what is wrong. So be a Christian. Live a consistent Christian life. If you're taking on the name of Jesus by being called a Christian and a Christian that is born again and in this church, you know, don't take his name in vain. Right? That's one of the Ten Commandments, right? Don't take his name in vain. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Well, you're taking his name when you call yourself a Christian. Don't go out there and live like however you want and say, well, oh, it's Sunday I'm good, Monday I'm bad, Tuesday I'm, you know, whatever. Wednesday I'm good again. Thursday, ooh, Friday I'm real bad. Don't be a fence walker. You'll eventually slip and that hurts. Serve in the church and it's outreach according to your abilities. That's what we expect. You know, that you'll, you'll find a place of serving. You know, it doesn't have to be super server or, you know, you don't have to be the person who's, who's you know, spending, spending all your spare time here. But serve according to your abilities, your abilities with time. You know, one of the things that, that I think is cool about this church is that we're multi-generational, and we work at that. But one of the reasons why we're multi-generational is because we have real saints who are older. Those saints that are older, they're real. They're the real deal. And they haven't taken the responsibilities of, of, of being a part of this body and put them on the shelf and said, well, I did my part, and now it's time for the younger ones to take over. They're still active. I saw a little girl... Sean and Tracy, it was your girl. Where's Sean and Tracy at? Somewhere. Oh, you were over here. There you are. There you are. I saw your little girl come up, and she gave Norma a kiss on the cheek right before service. I saw it, and I'm like, that's what I love seeing. Generations loving on one another. Share your Christian testimony by word and life on a person-to-person basis. I, I think that's just... We expect from you that you share God with people, that you're so full of Jesus that you, you're sharing your testimony, that you know how to do that. And if you don't know how to do that, make an appointment with one of the pastors. We'll teach you how to do that. And if you're going to be an official part, partner of this church, 
you know, one of the things we ask is that you support its work with your finances through tithing or offerings. And, you know, that looks different sometimes for different people. Tithing does mean 10% of your increase. We ask you to shoot for that. But, you know, sometimes you've been in the world so long, it's hard to get there, right? I understand that too. I understand that too. So start at 5%, start at 2%, build your way up there. You know, I think Pastor Jared said he's been tithing your whole life practically. Didn't you say that this morning? 30 years, okay, so not quite your whole life. Um, I, I've so told this story before. When I was 12, I came home with my first paycheck. It was 1000 bucks. I worked for a farmer for a month, and he, he gave me $1,000, and I thought I was something else as a 12-year-old with 1000 bucks in my pocket. And that was um, a long time ago. That was 38 years ago. I thought I was something. And my dad looked at me and goes, 100 of that goes to the church. And I said, um, well, then I'll only have 900 and he goes, I'm a tither, and everybody who lives under my roof will be a tither because we're going to be a blessed house. That's what he said. You might not agree with that. That's fine. But I tell you what, I tithed that day, and I never stopped tithing. I've told you this before. All the pastors in this church, we, in the Assemblies of God, we have to tithe, or we have our credentials taken from us because our leadership says, don't you ask the church to do something that you don't do yourself. So... We live there. We live that. And that's how the church functions. And let me just say this. If everybody gives 10%, it's genius because the person who makes a little bit and the person who makes a lot, they really give percentage-wise the same amount. It's an awesome, it's genius that God came up with that. Some people say, well, that was Old Testament. I, I only tithe according to the New Testament. Well, then your bill will be about 90% because the New Testament's much harsher. It's like, lay it all out. Give it all, Right? 10%, not a big deal. And no, we don't look at your income. And no, we don't every Sunday or every Monday morning see who gave the most. It's nothing like that. It's a spirit of giving that's important. And that's what we, we expect from our partnership. You need to know making a decision to become a partner of a church is a big deal. It shouldn't be made lightly. It should be made with prayer and the leading of the Holy Spirit. And if you're interested in becoming a partner at Indianola First, you can stop by the information desk and pick up a card. I'll, I'll be there. My wife will be there. We'll, we have cards for you. Uh, and then you, you just need to turn them in before next Sunday night. We're not doing anything next Sunday night, but that just gives you Sunday morning. You understand? And the Board of Elders will meet and approve those that want to be partners. It has to be an official meeting with motions and such. That's the legal side of things that we are required to adhere to in the great state of Iowa. This keeps us within the legal requirements of being a nonprofit entity. It's just part of what the local church does to create organization. It's part of what we just talked about in Scripture, all those organizing things. It, it's, it's part of it. You know, it's even true that the military, we report all of our numbers to the National Office of the Assemblies of God, all of our membership numbers, or partnership numbers, I call them. But we report that to the, the, uh, the national office. Our national office then reports that to the government. The government actually looks at the numbers of membership within our country of different groups, fellowships, denominations, and then they, they allow the number of chaplains from those denominations into the military based off that number, which is really interesting. So the more membership we have, the more some of God chaplains we would have, and that's a good thing because they, they right now have atheists chaplains, which I don't even know what that means, but, 
but they do. They're atheist, atheist chaplains. I, I don't know what they call them. Atheist chaplains, I guess. Is that an oxymoron? That's just weird. And it's a commitment to be a partner. I get that. Your decision to receive Christ and to allow yourself to be transformed into his image is your commitment to him. And you're part of the body of Christ. You're on your way to heaven. All that's true. And although you don't have to be an official partner to commit to this local congregation, just remember that if, anyone refu- if everyone refused official partnership, we could not exist as a recognized nonprofit church. It takes some that will say yes. Partnership is that step of official commitment. It's saying, I don't just want to be involved. Chicken. I'm totally committed. (laughs) I won't say that. (laughs) Does that make sense? We have an annual business meeting that gets together, and we have some fun with that. We go over numbers and go over the business. That will be in February. We'll be announcing that soon. Um, I can announce it right now. What's the date? February. Where's my wife? 19th, thank you. 19th, February 19th is the day. And uh, we get together and just go over the numbers of the church. We're open book. We're trans- transparent with all those numbers and things and seeing how the church is going. And really, because of this church and, and you guys all just being so awesome, those, uh, those meetings usually end up being more, more like celebration nights than anything because it's just fun to see what God's doing. Um, but there'll be votes Sometimes, from time to time, there's always a vote on who will be elder. There's always, a, there's always a, I mean, there can be votes on property purchases and things like that in the church. There are all ways to organize a local congregation. So we don't have a vote on property this year or anything like that. Not, not saying that, just the kind of things you would vote on if they came up. God is so good, man. God is so good, woman. Woman and man. Nancy, I just called you woman again. It's an inside joke. Would you stand? Hallelujah. Lord, I'm thankful that you've given us this family, this church. We know a church is not a place, it's, it's, it's a people. You've given us this family of believers that will bear our burdens, that, that we can bear their burdens. And, and God, push each other to greatness. Lord, I ask right now that we would just remember how blessed we are to live in a country where we can actually be a part of something like this. Lord, that we have freedom to choose which organizations we want to be a part of and which ones we don't. And God, I'm just so thankful that this is a place of love, of acceptance, of truth, of encouragement. It's an atmosphere, God, that's designed for us all to thrive, and it's because of you. And Lord, we know we're not perfect, none of us. But God, we're so thankful that you've put us together for such a time as this. Lord, I pray blessings on this entire church as we commit to you, but as we commit to one another. And Lord, it's a new year. Give us a fresh commitment. 
to one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.